Shalom Mishpocha. Shalom family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpocha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people where the middle wall is separation between Jew and Gentile finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, Mishpocha, to blow the grandest shofar or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. I mean, if not now, when? I mean, everything happening on planet Earth, you don't have to be a prophecy buff to say God is up to something. But I believe, uh, just as Daniel talks about and prophesies, that the closer we get to the return of the Messiah, the more the missing pieces will come into focus. And that's why I have Bill Salas on the telephone. Bill has spent the last 11 years researching what's going on in the Middle East, the fate of America, and as far as I'm concerned, this is a missing ingredient that once you understand this, you'll be able to put end-time Bible prophecy much better. And uh, Bill, why does God make prophecy such a mystery? I, I am one of these people that say, I like one and one to equal two. I like things to be logical. Just show me what it is. I'll pray it and do it. Why is it so confusing to so many people? Well, it's interesting, and I think it draws our attention to Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, said, where God says, He is God. He is, there is none like Him, declaring the end from the beginning, things not yet done, saying His counsel shall stand. See, He holds Bible prophecy to his authentic sovereignty of his own. That's how he authenticates his sovereignty. But once we start to understand prophecy, because in some prophecies we do get an enormous amount of detail, we start to realize that God, prophecy is for us to inform us, not to impress us. God, God's not someone with too much time on his hands. He's the one who holds all time in his hands. And And we should just be thankful that he wants to share this upcoming information for us like a loving father would. So Bible prophecy, which is about a third of the Bible, Sid, is extremely important. We we can't discard it, and yet the, many of us, myself included, came to the Lord through Bible prophecy. It becomes a witnessing tool. Matter of fact, it says in Revelation 19.10 that the, the spirit of prophecy is the very testimony of Jesus Christ. Only he can say that. His testimony is prophetic. So Bible prophecy is an amazing part of the Bible, and unfortunately is seldom taught across many of the churches today. Now, there have been a whole series of what I consider supernatural events for you to get this revelation, digest it, and be able to put it out in a form we understand. Uh, Tell me a little bit about how this amazing revelation came to you. Well, it's interesting. Like I said, I came to know the Lord through Bible prophecy. I was actually attending a Bible study of a, of a scholar, and he was doing the book of Revelation. And so I immediately got interested in the Bible, and especially in the prophetic aspects of the Bible. And I thought, well, if I'm going to study Bible prophecy, I want to study the Bible prophecy that's most relevant for my time, my family's time, my, my children's and grandchildren's time. I want to know it all. I want to study it all. I want to know about the tribulation and the end times and all that. But is there something right now, is there a shoe that fits right now that would equip me for the days in which I live, which I think is really the importance of Bible prophecy? 
So I started being connected to, especially in the event of September 11th when the Twin Towers were toppled, I started realizing, listen, this is about terrorism. That's the ugly byproduct of the Arab-Israeli conflict. And immediately my, immediately my attention was drawn to those Middle East prophecies dealing with those ancient territories that surround Israel and Syria and Jordan and Lebanon and the terrorist populations. And I just I just became uh, obsessed with it, to be honest with you, Sid. It, it's, I felt like every time I would sit down at my computer, open it up, and every morning before I went to work, I had a mortgage company at the time. This was about 20 years ago. Uh, I would I would realize, listen, Lord, I can't go anywhere without you inspiring me to find out where you want me to go. And as I would think, okay, I need to pick up where I left off the day before, I would go back into that section of Scripture, and the next thing you know, I'd be out somewhere else where the Lord took me. And, and it, just, it was just like a miraculous relationship with the Lord, being able to find things. He always showed up. He always showed up and, and took me where he wanted me to to go inside of the Bible. Now, now, when the towers toppled, 9-11, uh, and you started doing a lot of your studies, uh, God literally gave you a clear message. What was that? Well, the message was, well, it's just interesting because I was wondering what the, the world had questions when that happened. You know, what, what is this? Is this Armageddon? I mean, I would, I'd be listening to the radio shows, and there was a harvest field that was developing right over there because of what was going on, and pastors were going over there, and they were preaching the gospel, but no one was really coming up with a response to it, and I had been deeply embedded in studying this stuff. I heard uh, uh, one pastor, well-known pastor, say, you need to focus on Ezekiel 38 and 39. Here's what's going on. And, and Sid, for your listeners that aren't familiar with that, we, maybe we'll be talking about it, but that's a Russian-Iranian Turkey coalition that comes against Israel in the latter days. And, and most people, most Christians, uh, think that's the next big uh, war on the horizon if you talk to them. Uh, but you say no. Oh, right. A lot of them do believe it's imminent. And and so I'll, I'll, and I want to tell you my reasons why I say it's not imminent, why uh, it's near but not next. But when I, and that's why this one pastor said, "Keep your focus on that," and that was the best answer I'd heard. But like I, I was saying just a moment ago, it's not about Russia. You know, that was not about Russia. That was about terrorism. And so what I realized is that it's it's uh, the Bible has a lot to say about how terrorism came into being from the Arab-Israeli conflict, which is that unconventional method of warfare that the Arabs adopted after their conventional warfare failures in 1948. 67 and 70, 1973. And what became clear to me is, well, what follows? There's, it's, this is going to come to a climactic Arab-Israeli war. It's, it's described in Psalm 83, and, and it's, going to, it's going to put everything else in place. Once that happens, the Israel that Russia invades in Ezekiel 38, that dwells securely in the last days, and, and, so, and there's a whole a laundry list that I can, I can tell that describes that Israel. Ezekiel is so descriptive. That Israel will come into place, but that Israel is not in place right now. It's not dwelling securely without walls, bars, nor gates, uh, in receipt of of great fortune because Russia comes is coming after its plunder. And, and don't get me wrong, we know Israel is blossoming and it's it's discovering natural gas and and it's it's just amazing. That's a miracle in itself. But the Russia, the Israel that Russia forms a coalition to come and invade for great plunder and booty, dwelling securely. It doesn't exist, and the reason it doesn't exist right now is because of the very nations listed in Psalm 83 
that surround Israel that want to wipe Israel off the map, and that's the very mandate of Psalm 83, verse 4, that they would cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel would be remembered no more. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, I have often pondered in Ezekiel 38, 39, uh, that Israel will be invaded for a plunder. My spiritual logic says that means they have to be very, very prosperous. So therefore, if I was interested in investing, which I'm not, but if I was, I'd be investing in Israel. Well, I, I concur, Sid. Um, however, you know, we need to think about this, too, because I get to ask that question quite a uh, bit by, by my friends in finance, also a lot of my Jewish friends. And, and I say, I do believe there's a greater Israel coming, a greater, a safer Israel coming in the aftermath of the IDF victory over the Psalm 83 war. But we have to remember that when that war takes place, your investments and your holdings over there in Israel, should you invest, you know, they could suffer. I mean, that's, you know, it's not going to be real good there for a period of time when a war is going on. Now, Israel wins, and Israel can... So, so that, yeah, but guess what? They take any country in the world, and they're going to have rough times, because yet once more, I'm going to shake this earth, and those that are not on a firm foundation, uh, they're, they're going to fall. I want to read a quote of yours about terrorism. It says, terrorism is the ugly byproduct of the Arab-Israeli conflict, and that the Bible speaks volumes about what follows. Uh, explain. Well, exactly, and that is, and that's the whole Psalm 83 scenario. The the attitude that's involved in Psalm 83, and and I hope we have time to develop this psalm, this prophecy uh, for your audience here. But is it's an it's an ancient hatred that's long-standing that's that's been. Uh, enveloped in the religion of Islam, that it's, it's embracing the Middle East over there, and they are going to want to come against Israel. They have tried to in those various wars I told you about since Israel became a nation. It's 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 sort of suspended now, but again, there's no peace talks going on, nor will there probably be at this point, because Israel is not going to concede land that, you know, that it acquired in 1967, which is becoming a precondition of the Palestinians wanting peace. Yeah, remember the uproar that occurred when President Obama said that Israel has to go to their uh, pre-67 borders. Well, yeah, and Benjamin Netanyahu was over here speaking to our, our Congress and basically saying that's not going to happen. And, and in essence, when he came over and spoke, that to the Palestinians was a declaration of war for all intents and purposes, because to them, they want that land. They want the Palestinian state with Jerusalem as its capital, and they want the West Bank and the Gaza, and they want to bridge it. I mean, it, these... Yeah, you know what bothers me, Bill, uh, is that uh, well, it's like just take one of the three DVDs in your book that we're offering, but take one of the DVDs, the roots of the Middle East conflict. Number one, most people don't know the historical order as to why there is such hatred today. I mean, it seems to me if I was a member of the State Department, if I, I was a congressman, if I was a senator, if I was in the White House, if I was in the cabinet, if I don't understand uh, the roots of the Mideast conflict, how could I possibly give competent advice? Well, and that's exactly it, and that's why for six six decades plus now there's been no resolution to the Arab-Israeli conflict, and it's getting worse. And, you know, ultimately, land for peace deals are not prescribed in the Bible here. This is God's land. 
and Israel's being brought back into it, and the Arabs want the, the Israelis to recede, and, and rather they're expanding. After 1967, they almost tripled their size. God said they'd be coming back into the land, numerous prophecies. Uh, Bill, we, we've just run out of time, but what I want our Mishpucha to do is uncover the missing piece of prophecy, the next war in the Middle East. The experts literally have overlooked this. Uh, And the fate of America, when you understand this, you'll see the fate of America. We have your brand new book, three DVDs. First one talks about the next Middle East conflict. It's not Ezekiel 38 and 39. The second DVD is the roots of the Mideast conflict. If that's the only thing someone got, it would revolutionize their understanding of what's happening in the world. And the third DVD is the future of America and Bible prophecy available for a gift of $40. Call our order only line 1-800- 447 1-800-447-2697. Bill Salas has spent the last 11 years when God gave him this revelation just doing research, and I believe he did it just for you. Bill, first, it's important to understand because most believers do not understand uh, the roots of the conflict. And if you don't understand the roots of the conflict, when you read today's headlines, you don't have a clue of what's going on. It's like seeing the tip of the iceberg, but 90% of the iceberg's under the water, and you're trying to make decisions based on that 10% that you can see with your naked eye. Absolutely, Sid. They don't understand the roots of the conflict. Six decades have come and gone, and the the conflict is worse. The the enemies of Israel have uh, more dangerous weapons than ever before, and the attitude is that they don't want the Jewish state to exist. And this is something that is not going to get better according to Bible prophecy. It will come out and play out in a Arab-Israeli war written about 3,000 years ago by the the psalmist Asaph, uh, one of King David's worship leaders, who was also a prophet slash seer. But the, you're right, there is an ancient hatred that the Bible speaks about, and the Hebrew words are olam ba, and it talks about it being an existence from time immemorial and resurfacing throughout time, even to the present. And when, when these two words are put together, said, it's very definitive. It's a condition stemming back long ago in ancient times, perpetuated throughout time, manifesting into hostility with no apparent end in sight. In other words, it's cancerous. It will not go away. It it needs surgical removal, and unfortunately, that means war. Now, can man, in any way you understand, be able to orchestrate peace uh, and, and not have this horrible scenario occur that we see in the Bible that you'll be explaining this week? Well, you know, man has tried, and man could. Um, actually, there's a, a plan that God had put together for, in, in Jeremiah uh, 12, verses 14 through 17, that I put I point out in my new book, that God actually had His own peace plan together for the nations when they came, when the Jews came back into the land. How He would set the stage for that to be all harmonious, but of course that required that the uh, the Arab populations would accept the re- the regathered nation of Israel, the rebirth nation of Israel, and that they would worship uh, Jehovah, not Allah. 
it, it required a few basic things. But I point this out what they are, and that's not what's going on, unfortunately. So God had a compassionate roadmap plan, a peace two-state solution, a peace plan together. But they're, they're in uh, breach of that. The Arabs are in breach of that, and, and they're, they're going to confederate, according to Psalm 83, and try to wipe Israel off the map. Said that's the, that's that's what I think is in the makings. I think the Arab Spring is pointing in that direction. Uh, now, now you point out reasons why you feel that this is going to happen soon. What are the reasons for the for the next Middle East war uh, that had to occur in order for it to happen? Well, because you know, there's six decades have gone on. Uh, the Arab Spring has created a very unstable, unstable situation over there in the Middle East. We've uh, that, that's where everything, all of these uh, Arab nations, the governments are being toppled, and the wrong guys are getting control. Uh, you know what I was thinking, Bill? This could have never happened without uh, Facebook and the computer and the communication that people have now. I mean, we needed literally needed a computer for Psalm 83 to happen. Well, you know, it's interesting. You're absolutely right. Um, when this Arab Spring was going on, the liberal pundits thought it was nothing more than um, the the youth over there driven by the social networks, like you said, Facebook, to Twitter, etc., looking out of state-censored media and 7th century Islam into life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's all wonderful, and we wish that for them, Western-style democracies, but that's not what's happening, Said. We've got a Syrian revolution that's gone on since March of 2011, still ongoing as we speak. You've got a Muslim Brotherhood now who was repressed for 40 years in Egypt that will be calling for Sharia law that is now in power. Now, now they have open access to our White House. Uh, I find that outrageous. Well, they do. And, you know, their president, Mohammed Morsi, is the, the consummate politician. He has met with Hillary Clinton. He has met with... Leon Panetta, but he has also met with the Hamas. He has also met with Mahmoud Ahmadinejad of Iran. He has also met with Erdogan of Turkey. And so if you read behind the scenes, you start to recognize that he is just playing politics presently at this point in time. Uh, they have an agenda. They want to unite the Arab states through Islam, through Sharia law, and they want to march as a capital, not Cairo, but Jerusalem. And this was one of the campaign uh, plans of Mohamed Morsi that was being advocated before he came president. Uh, president of Egypt, but go ahead. Uh, so, I, you know, the stage is really set. And like you said, um, what's interesting is that we had these leaders, uh, Mubarak, who ruled over Egypt for 30 years, and, and the Tunisian guy Ali for 23 years, and and Gaddafi was 42 years, even uh, the Saleh of Yemen it was 33 years. These long-standing leaders who were really not threatening Israel in a war at any point in time. They're gone. But you know who's not gone are the people that want to wipe Israel off the map. Ayatollah Khomeini, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, Bashar Assad, uh, Hassan Nasrallah of Hezbollah, now Mohammed Morsi of, of Egypt. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and we're told in Daniel 2.21 that it's the Lord who changes times and seasons and raises and removes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those with understanding. And I think the wisdom to the wise is that the leaders that would want to wipe Israel off the map are in place, the weapons are in place, the attitude is in place, and that we need to be prepared for missiles to fly in the Middle East 
and said that's an imminent concern I have right now. Oh, and and how about Syria? And uh, we know, well, we don't know, but I believe uh, that all the chemical weapons that were in Iraq are now in Syria, ready to be turned on uh, on its own people and perhaps Israel. Well, it's it's an Syria had their own weapons program once upon a time, and and it was very advanced and. There's good reasons to believe, because even Saddam Hussein's one of his upper echelon uh, individuals named George Assada has come out since Saddam Hussein has, has fallen and said, yes, there were, we did have chemical weapons, and yes, they were moved over into Syria. Now, Syria supposedly has the uh, largest undisclosed, or third, we believe, third in the world, undisclosed uh, arsenal of chemical weapons, and they've been moving them around because of the concerns with going uh, is going on with the Free Syrian Army and the revolution over there, and they're supposedly stored in around 20 different sites. And said, you know, just just the other day, Bashar Assad went out and said, look, if there's international uh, intervention into his revolution, he is there. He will die in Syria. He is not going to leave. And the Middle East will start to fall down like dominoes. That was a quote from Bashar Assad of Syria. He is he is not going to do what Muammar Gaddafi did, take a bullet to the head without without doing something. And that's the concern. As a matter of fact, he said, I think it was around November of 2011, that if the international community gets involved in his revolution, and at that time he was specifically referring to NATO, he said, in six hours I will send missiles into Tel Aviv, and I will have Hezbollah send missiles into Tel Aviv. Well said... What is Israel going to do if that happens, and especially if there's chemicals? Now you're dealing with another Bible prophecy, probably interrelated with Psalm 83 and Isaiah 17, which talks about the destruction of Damascus, the world's oldest continuously inhabited city dating back before the time of Abraham over 4,000 years ago, home to several million Syrians. Uh, being destroyed, it says it will cease to be a city, it will be a ruinous heap. And what's, what's very detailed about that Isaiah 17 prophecy said, is it goes on to say in verse 9 that it appears to be the IDF in self-defense that has to do that. And in verse 14, in the concluding verse of Isaiah 17, it says that even tied you see him, referring to Damascus in the personal pronoun, and in the morning he is no more. This is the portion of those who plunder us and those who rob us. Okay, tell us about how, how well armed is Hezbollah. Well, Hezbollah, who lobbed 4,000 rockets into Israel in uh, the summer of 2006, and kept a lot of people in northern Israel in bomb shelters for 34 days. Uh, according to UN Resolution 1701, was supposed to dismantle those at that time. And we believe now they've got 50 to 60,000 uh, missiles. We believe they've got Scud D missiles that they got from Syria. Now, Scud D said are the most advanced Scuds in the world, and uh, they're not those those. Uh, throw a prayer out and hope it, hope it sticks uh, Scud A's at Saddam Hussein's. Uh, these are Scud D's. They can go 400 miles and pinpoint accuracy and hit a within a 20-yard target. I mean, they could hit in the middle of any synagogue they want. They could hit Demona if mm. they wanted the nuclear plant of Israel. Okay. Uh, now, I, I see I see the, the picture. Iran has nuclear power. Uh, we, we have the Muslims acting crazy, attacking our embassy. Uh, Hezbollah has 50,000-some rockets with pinpoint accuracy. Syria has got the chemical weapons. Uh, I mean, uh, and this is the whole war, the nations involved, and we'll get into it later this week, all outlined in Psalm 83. So I have two questions for you. Number one, how imminent is this? 
Well, I don't see anything standing in the way when you understand Psalm 83 and the nations involved. Uh, I don't see anything standing in the way right now of Psalm 83 happening. Peace talks have failed. Uh, the only thing, the only two things that have to be, the only preconditions are a peace treaty between Egypt and Israel, which was formed in 1979, I believe it was, with Jimmy Carter, and a peace treaty with Jordan that was formed in 1994 with Bill Clinton. Bill, while you were studying the revelation, and it was revelation, it wasn't natural, the revelation of Psalm 83, which perfectly describes the next Middle East war, they discovered something that has been dubbed the... Irish Dead Sea Scrolls. Explain that. Well, yes, absolutely. In the, the summer of 2006, Sid, was a very prophetic year. We had a discovery of an ancient parchment in Irish bog soil. Bog soil is muddy soil. And what it was, was a, there were several psalms, and, but they were very dilapidated and scarcely salvageable, and they're in a museum. But one psalm, was salvageable. It was unblemished. It was open in place. It had been buried, Sid, we believe, for about 1,000 to 1,200 years in this Irish bog soil. And what it was was a... Cons- uh, wait a second. A piece of a scroll uh, buried over 1,000 years in, in this type of an environment? There's, it shouldn't have even been paper anymore. Well, that's true. And this was not an archaeological dig with toothbrushes. This was a construction worker with bulldozers, and that in itself should have destroyed anything in in its tracks. But this was an amazing situation, and you had headlines coming out of the the, uh, Washington Post going, uh, Israel mourns Hezbollah exalts. Um, And and so all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, what is that? Uh, You know, they're finding this bog. Um, Associated Press said it was an ancient book of Psalms found in an Irish bog, and at the same time, there's newspapers coming around about Israel in this war with Hezbollah headlines because they were involved in a 34-day conflict, and right in the middle of that conflict between Israel and Hezbollah, here comes this Psalm discovery. And, w- and what's amazing about that, Sid, is that it's the only place in over 31,000 verses in the Bible where you can find. Hezbollah and Israel involved in a war, and that's in Psalm 83. Uh, and, and you're just getting the revelation of Psalm 83 when all this explosive Irish Dead Sea Scrolls occur. <laughs> well, that's the other thing, too, is that Psalm 83, as far as a finding commentaries that were written about the prophetic aspects of Psalm 83, were pretty much non-existent. They were hard to find. That's why it took me 11 years of research to really get to this book that you're offering right now. And and so what was amazing to me is that the Lord put it on my heart to write about Psalm 83, that I believed it was an imminent prophecy for our time, probably the next Mideast news headline. And at the same time, there's a war going on, and Psalm 83 shows up miraculously in Irish bog bog soil. I mean, it couldn't be the worst kind of soil in the world to find it show up. It may as well have just been floating in the middle of the... And and it mentions all of the key players that are, it it looks to me, like are ready to implement this. Uh, Give me a brief synopsis of the scenario of Psalm 83. And by the way, when you're talking about uh, Hezbollah, uh, when, when Psalm 83 talks about the inhabitants of Tyre, who is that? Well, that's that's the key here, Sid, is understanding 
uh, who these players are, who these participants are. That would really be more than likely the Hezbollah. And what I think I'll do is I'll take the, the liberty of, uh, as if Asaph, who wrote the psalm 3,000 years ago, was with us today in this interview. I'm going to take the liberty in the vernacular of his time of telling you who I think he would be describing in this prophecy, which is clearly not found fulfillment yet, and I point out why in the, bu- the book you're offering. Who he was talking about at the very lead position, and, and he goes through and gives us an order of who these populations are in verses 6 through 8 of Psalm 83. We always have to start, well, who's he saying is first? Because someone listed first, a population listed first, is sort of the star of the show, like the, the credits of a movie at the end always lists the top actor. And he's starting with the Palestinian refugees. He, he's, he's talking about their plight. He, he actually calls them a tenth of Edom, they call it. The pop, that's, a, that's a refugee condition, biblically speaking. So he's got Palestinian refugees, very distinct. He's got the Saudi Arabians in here. He's got, the southern, he's got Jordanians, both the southern and central and, and north Jordanians. So Jordan's involved. He's got Egyptians involved, so Egypt. And I'm going to keep going with who it is, but what you're going to notice here, Sid, is that I'm talking about the Arab populations that are all predominantly Muslim, that share common borders with Israel, I'm talking about the Arab states, and their terrorist organizations within those Arab states. You have the Hamas, you have the Hezbollah, you have the uh, Lebanese, you have the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, So in in review, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, uh, northern Iraq should be involved. Egypt, Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas, Lebanon. I mean, uh, the Hezbollah. So that's that's who I believe is involved in this war, and I've done some real serious research on this. And on the maps, when you look at the old the Old Testament maps and ancient maps, this is where they end up today. Now, how in the world can these Arab nations uh, that seem to never get along, seem to fight everyone else, seem to fight themselves, seem to fight one another? How could they ever do what Psalm 83 says, unify? Well, we've already seen that that inkling toward that since Israel became a nation in 1948. It's it's, it's amazing to me, Sid, that after 1878 years in the diaspora, when, when in 70 AD the Jewish dispersion started, and in May 14, 1948, when Israel becomes rebirthed as a nation, especially after coming out of a Holocaust attempt by Hitler, the the Jews coming back into the land should have been given banners and balloons. But what did they get? They got bullets and bombs. And this ancient Arab hatred was alive and, and well. And most of these populations that I just listed to you, even though some of those terrorist organizations came on the scene subsequently, they were involved. That attitude was there. They did not want the Jews back in that land over there. Now, they all got their statehood after World War One and World War Two, But no, we don't want Israel to have a statehood. Uh, in the midst of that Middle East land. And so we, and, and you know, what do we see right now? We see that, you're right, the Arabs used to fight against the Arabs more than the Arabs used to fight against the Jews. And the Persians used to fight against the Arabs. And there's this, all this history that goes back and forth with all these wars. But Islam came along in the 7th century uh, AD, and it united, uh, it started to unite those populations with similar common holy practices and holy days. And so, you know, they're united. And and as a matter of fact, they've never been more united. Uh, The president of Egypt, Mohammed Morsi, and his Muslim Brotherhood, they want to form a United States of the Arabs. You saw recently, uh, just before the elections, when uh, our presidential elections, 
you saw our embassies across North Africa and the Middle East being attacked. I mean, all the way from Libya, Egypt, Tunisia, Bahrain, Yemen, Qatar. I mean, there's 20 different countries all upset about some video or whatever you want to put it on, but they were Islamically driven, united countries that used to war against each other, and they're attacking the American embassies. And what does that tell you, Said coming into the, you know, the next four years we've got ahead of us? It does not look good. Uh, now, let me ask you this. I've noticed a pattern. When there are wars in the Middle East, Israel never starts it. The Arabs start it. Israel always finishes it. Israel always wins it. And Israel always ends up with more land than before it started. It's an amazing pattern. Well, it is. And, you know, Sid, I point out in the book and in some of the DVDs you're offering that today's Israeli defense forces actually exist in fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And and I pinpoint why. Because when we study end times Bible prophecy, we don't see the Israeli defense forces showing up in a lot of different places. We see the Lord, for instance, stopping a massive invasion of Russia and a coalition in Ezekiel 38. We don't necessarily see the Israeli defense forces there. And I can go through a whole list of things, and I do in the book. But what we do see is the Israeli defense forces fighting off these Arab countries in the end times. And that's a point I make. And, and Ezekiel 37.10 says there'll be an ex- Israel will have an exceedingly great army. And I point out the numerous passages where they show up in defending the nation. And you're right. They, they've even made a commitment. It's their policy. They won't be the first one to, to launch a weapon of mass destruction in the Middle East. But they do have a Samson option. In other words, their, their military thinking at this point is we are not going to have a Masada complex. We are going to have a Samson option. And I don't know if your listeners know what that means, but it's a, it's a, it's a strong response option. Is what it, they're, they're, it's a matter of survival for them. Uh, yes, but what, what if, they, if they're going to be number two in response then, uh, what happens if, they, if Iran nukes them? They won't be able to respond. Well, I think Israel is uh, on the precipice of having to do something about Iran's nuclear program, which is, I believe, possibly another prophecy. I mean, this is how detailed Bible prophecy can be. I pointed out in the book, Iran has a double jeopardy in the end times. A lot of people recognize Iran under the banner of Persia, ancient Persia, is involved in that Ezekiel 38 war with Russia and Iran and Turkey and Libya, and there's nine populations that he speaks. But they also show up under... Whoops, I'll tell you what, I'm so intrigued by what you're saying. Uh, Time has just slipped away, Bill, but you've got to get his brand new book and his three DVDs, which cover the next Middle East war, the roots of the Middle East conflict, and the future for America in Bible prophecy. This is the missing link to understand end times. Why is this so important? You'll realize how quickly Jesus is going to return, and you'll know the fate of these nations before you read it in the newspaper. We're making uh, the book and the three DVDs available for a gift of $40. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, 1-800-447-2697.
Bill has spent 11 years researching biblical prophecy on what he calls the Psalm 83 war. And in this Psalm 83 war, Bill, what I find fascinating is, uh, you po- as you point out in your book and in, in your DVDs, Israel will progressively get more and more land in the Middle East. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Well, isn't that amazing, Sid? You know, the the we brought up in one of your earlier programs this week that uh, the President Barack Obama, for instance, is echoing the sentiment of many, much of the international community, especially the Arab states, that they want Israel to give up land for peace and an enormous amount of land. They want to, Israel to recede to the pre-1967 borders, which, of course, would make Israel's borders indefensible. And that's the argument that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu presents, and, and, and justifiably so. So the world is wanting to shrink Israel, but that's not the biblical prescription for the days in which we live. Genesis fifteen eighteen and Joshua 1, chapter 1, verse 4, I believe it is, it talks about a much, much more sizable Israel that was promised in the promised land. The land that God was going to give to Abraham on through Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants, which are the Jewish people today. We saw this happen in 30, about uh, 3,300 years ago when uh, the Hebrew Exodus, we saw Joshua getting some of that land. We saw even during 3,000 years ago, King David and King Solomon taking more of that land. In both instances, more land than Israel possesses today. But the land that they will someday possess it, we're told the meets and bounds of it. It goes from the river Nile in Egypt to the river Euphrates, which courses through modern-day Iraq and Syria. That's about 15 times as much land as Israel presently occupies. And I point out in the books and the DVDs that you're presenting to your audience that they, I believe they're going to start to get more of the land incrementally when they start to win the Psalm 83 war. I believe they're going to get Jordan, and I point out the scriptures why. I believe they're going to get some of Egypt. I point out the scriptures why. I believe they're going to get part of southern Lebanon. Now, I don't go so far as to say they're going to get all of that land until Jesus returns. But uh, there is historical precedent, and there is modern-day historical precedent for Israel winning wars, Joshua, King David, and 1967, and taking land. They feel justified in doing that, and they are justified in doing that. And I believe we are, we're seeing just the opposite is about to happen than what the international community is suspecting. Hmm. Now, I want you to give me a thumbnail sketch of the, the players in this war and what's going to happen to each of them, including Israel. Okay, well, um, I mentioned earlier, program, that we've got Syria is got to be concerned. They're involved in Psalm 83. There's a prophecy, two prophecies of great concern in Isaiah 17 and in Jeremiah 49. They both talk about a serious judgment on Syria. In fact, Damascus, it says, will cease to be a city. Um, You know, Israel at this point in time has the weaponry to take out a major city. And they certainly don't want to do that. But they are not going to, they're not going to be pushed off into the ocean and be wiped off the map and experience another Jewish genocide attempt, which in essence is kind of what Psalm 83 really is. It says they want to cut the nation off, that the name of Israel will be remembered no more. Then you've got Jordan. You know, I have to go back to the Arab Spring and the protests and, and when, when uh, uh, Morsi 
one being the head of Egypt and the, uh, the violence that I saw uh, on the faces of many of those Egyptians. I mean, when that violence is turned loose, that is, uh, that's a scary prospect. Well, you know, Sid, I think there's some very important information in the Bible about Egypt's future. And I cover that also in the book. Um, Egypt is a population, it's the most populated Arab country. There's about 80 to 83 million or so Egyptians, of which about 10% are Coptic Christians. About 10 million, maybe about 8 million over there or so. Now, uh, the, the scenario with Egypt at this point in time is, and I think the saying goes, as goes Egypt, so goes the whole Middle East. Uh, they are a big kingdom. They are the number one Arab kingdom. I think their army is ranked number 16 uh, versus Israel, which is, by the way, their world army is ranked number 10. And the Bible says in Ezekiel 29 that someday Egypt is going to become the lowliest of kingdoms in the world. And so in the messianic kingdom, Egypt will actually be the lowliest of all kingdoms. But that's not the case right now. What happens? What happens between now and then? And I point out in Isaiah 19 and Ezekiel 29, there are some very serious events forthcoming. There's actually two future judgments. One's present that I think is about to happen to Egypt, and one is future, uh, and that's when the Antichrist goes into Egypt. But the, now, now what's, what, what is the present judgment going to be? The present one is for their involvement in Psalm 83, in my estimation. They're going to be involved with, those, uh, with uh, Hezbollah, the Lebanese, uh, Syrians, Hamas, Palestinian refugees, Jordanians, Saudis, Egyptians, Muslim Brotherhood, and a war, a confederate war against Israel, and it's going to be a big deal, and they're going to be judged, and I think Isaiah 19 just talks about an amazing process of what happens to Egypt from this day forward. But, but wait a second. With all these weapons, <laughs> including nuclear weapons now, with all these countries unifying against Israel— uh, Give me a break. Short of God showing up, Israel doesn't stand a chance. Well, okay, here's, here's the key to understanding that, Sid. Um, the Israeli defense forces are going to play a very significant role. Remember in 1948 when they came over, they were just a band of refugees, and they were under attack, and they won. And that happened in 1967. They won in six days. That happened in 1973. Every battle, they've gotten stronger. Their army is going to someday be an exceedingly great army, according to Ezekiel 37.10. They're already a great army, ranked number 10 in the world. They're going to be exceedingly great after they win in the Psalm 83 war. But the story, the, the, Asaph wrote Psalm 83, and he says in verses 9 and 11 of Psalm 83, he points God's attention to dealing with the, the Arab Confederacy, under the historical precedent of the time of Gideon and the time of Barak during uh, De uh, Prophetess Deborah's time, back, back uh, you know, before Asaph's time. And what happened in those examples, for instance, Gideon, 300-man army killed 120,000 Midianites. There, were, there was um, seven years of oppression of the Midianites on, on the Jews. Then the other example he gives, there was 20 years of oppression on the Canaanites and the Jews. In both instances... The Israeli Defense Forces were empowered. They won. You'll never find, it's interesting, you won't find any oppression ever again in the Bible or historically of the Midianites or the Canaanites after those victories. And I think that's the case we're going to see here, too. After Psalm 83, those Arab countries will never oppress the Jews again. And 
Israel will then be able to dwell securely in the midst of the land, which really sort of sets the stage for the next big Goliath prophecy in Ezekiel 38. Oh, but let me ask you a question. Uh, What happens to Islam? What's going to happen there? Well, it's interesting in Zephaniah 2.11, I also point this out in the offerings you're presenting your audience, it says that the Lord, uh, Jehovah, will famish all the gods of the earth. And someday that is going to be the case. And I, I really think we're seeing the God of money already. That he's fallen away. You know, that's fallen away in 2007, and the economy's still in shambles. The whole world is still having economic problems. I think the God of Allah. I mean, you talk about Islam. I think the Arab Spring was the turning point for that God, that false God. And so you, you see, Islam is involved in and some big deals coming up here pretty soon. Psalm 83, 10 populations listed, they are all Islamic. And when they get defeated by the Israeli Defense Forces, I call that a punch to the gut of Islam. Now, now, are you saying to me, according to your understanding of Bible prophecy in Psalm 83, all these major Arab countries are going to be devastated beyond repair almost? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Now, fortunately... Uh, there will be some Arab populations that will have a remnant, much like the Israelis will have a faithful remnant. So are we talking about nuclear arms? Uh, I, I don't see any way that it won't be said, and I think there's biblical descriptions for that. Um, how, does, how does Damascus cease to be a city and become a ruinous heap overnight? And that's what Isaiah 17, verses 1 and verse 14 seem to say. Um, there's there's a prophecy in Ezekiel 29 that seems to suggest that Syene, which is where the Ashwan Dam is in Egypt, gets desolated. Uh, how quickly could this next war happen? It could happen immediately, and it won't be a long war. Israel cannot fight a war of attrition. They've never had a history since 1948 of fighting long, protracted wars. They don't have that luxury. It's You can fit all of Israel into the Lake uh, Michigan. I think it's Lake Michigan. It's about the size of New Jersey right now. Uh, Israel does not have the luxury of any more of this, uh, you know, just back-and-forth battles that they've had with Hamas and Hezbollah. The question is, will the next war be another skirmish, or will it be a war of epic biblical proportion? And I'm telling you, I believe it's the, it's the mother of all many wars coming up. What about America? Uh, we have a big Jewish population. Uh, the Arabs hate us as much as uh, uh, they hate Israel. Um, what, where, where do you see America fitting into this next Middle East war, uh, as described in Psalm 83? Well, Sid, that is such a critically important question, and it's one that I'm seldom not asked when I'm attending these prophecy conferences and speaking at them. Uh, This country is extremely concerned about our future and what the Bible may or may not have to say about it. And, And that's a valid concern because of the direction the country's been heading over the last decade. Uh, not to mention the fact it's difficult to discover America in the Bible. Why is that? You know, even the Gaza's in the Bible, Egypt's in the Bible, Russia's in the Bible under the Gog and Magog scenarios. But where's America? How come there's not more said about that? And many, many people, especially American Christians, are concerned we are living in the last days, Sid, and I do concur. We are living in the last days, and I believe we're living deep in the last days, and Jesus, the Messiah, is on his way here, and he'll be coming here before we know it. But I, I'm, there, this is something that's very important. And I've had the opportunity, Sid, in addition to being an author and a researcher, I'm a radio host out here on the West Coast in California, and I've had the opportunity of interviewing 
people who have been very burdened with this topic, respected Bible teachers, and they are concerned about the future for America and the Bible. And having interviewed them, having read their books, I have got some good news and some bad news for your listeners. The good news is they all pretty much have the same consensus. The bad news is that consensus is not necessarily good news for this country. What they are discovering is that even if you can find America in the Bible, and in the offerings you're offering to your audience, I point the, the six or seven arguments of where some people think America could be in the Bible. Is it Mystery Babylon? Is it the, the Ten Lost Tribes? Uh, is it the Unnamed Nation in Isaiah 18? I, I won't go through them all because they're in the book. But what, what the consensus is, is that if America is in the Bible, and I believe we are, and I point out where, we're not the same superpower status that we grew up in, Sid, that we've come to know and love. We're, we're not the America of the beautiful and greatly bountiful that once we were. Now, why is that, Sid? And I present the reasons and the concerns for that. But, you know, America right now is Israel's really its best friend at this point in time. And you and I all week long have been talking about Israel is going to be in a major war. It's prophesied in Psalm 83. Where is America in that process? What is the position we're going to take, especially now that we have President Barack Obama back in office for four more years? So very important information that I uncover in this book. I, but tell me whether America is a player at all in this next Middle East war. Well, um, I am concerned that we are going to – when we study Psalm 83, we don't see really any reason to think – that there's any foreign powers involved. And I explain why that's that's a safe assessment in the book and, and the DVDs you're offering. And so, therefore, the question is, why not? You know, because we, you know, maybe we're giving a supportive role, maybe we're selling some bunker busters, maybe those types of things, but we are, in this point in time, we are pulling out of the Middle East, out of Afghanistan, out of Iraq. Do we want to be drawn back into a Middle East war especially with our current uh, administration. Well, well, the question then is being begged right now. Uh, I understand Genesis 12.3. You understand Genesis 12.3. God himself says he will bless those who bless the Jewish people. God himself says he will curse those who curse them. We know the history of America. America has been the safest haven for Jewish people, an amazing haven for Jewish people. America has been a blessing to the formation of modern-day Israel. We see that God has showered his blessings on America because of this. Uh, If we take an anti-Semitic stand, if we take a stand of dividing the land that God himself says should be more land, not less, uh, what do you think will happen to America? Could that be why we won't be a big player economically in the last days? Well, I'm concerned about that, Sid, and I think that you've hit the nail on the head. And I think it's even a little deeper than that. Obviously, that Genesis 12, 2, and 3, that passage you quoted, that needs to echo throughout our land, because this country several decades ago pretty much kicked God out of the culture. You know, God establishes the nations. There's biblical precedent for that statement. And our country was established for two primary purposes. 
One, we were to be a safe haven for the Jewish people, and we have an amazing history of that. We've got Jews, you know, Christopher Columbus, many people think may have even been a Jew, but we've had, we had 15,000 Jews in Charleston, South Carolina in 1830. We had 250,000 Jews in America in 1880. 1943.7% uh, of our population. Uh, we've got almost 5 million Jews in America presently. And the closest country next to that, of course, Israel's got just, just surpassed that. They've got about 6 million now. But the closest country to that is, I believe it's France. It may be around four or 500,000. Big, big difference. We have been that safe haven for the Jews. The other reason that we were to be a beacon of Christianity, a beacon of the gospel to the world, and we were. Missionaries went out in the 1800s and early 1900s. But what have we done? We've kicked God out of our culture, and now we're starting to ask Israel to trade land for peace, God's land, the very thing we're told in Joel 3 that God judges the nations for, dividing his land. One of the reasons for that final judgment upon the nations. Very, very, we're, we're dealing with very hot water here in this country. We need to be on the right side of Israel in this upcoming war. Okay, what about Iran? That's what see, everyone's interested in. They're developing these nuclear bombs. They're talking about big Satan and little Satan. Big Satan being the United States, little Satan being Israel. What's the fate of Iran? Well, you know, we don't have to look outside of the Bible to find out, Sid. Iran shows up in the Bible in a couple places. It appears as though Iran has a dual role in the end times, according to Bible prophecy. One that is more heavenly taught and understood is their involvement as the country of Persia in the Ezekiel 38 and 39, that Russian coalition of nine populations involves Iran, Turkey, Libya, uh, probably the breakaway Baltic states. And, and, and of course, Persia is the ancient name for Iran. Go ahead. It's one of them. And, and in 1935, it became called Iran. But, the, you know, modern-day Iran is more than just ancient Persia. And Ezekiel, 2,500 years ago, identified ancient Persia in that prophecy. His contemporary at the same time was Jeremiah. He spoke about Iran, too, but he didn't call him Persia. He called him Elam, E-L-A-M. And that's interesting. And he also issues an end times Bible prophecy in Jeremiah 49. I pointed out in the book. And what does it sound like there? Well, if you understand where Elam is, that is where the Bushar nuclear plant is located today. It is the area right around the Persian Gulf. It is the western central part of Iran, not ancient Persia. And, and what seems to be happening there is that there's a, a strike at the foremost. It says that the Lord will break the bow of Elam, the bow, the launching bow, and, and Elamites are expert archers. And it, and it says it will hit them at the foremost of their might, and a dispersion is created. And, and it says there will be no nation where the, the Elamites don't go. Now, former U.N. Ambassador John Bolton said in the summer of 2011, I believe it was, when the Bashar nuclear plant was loaded with Russian fuel rods, that Israel's window of opportunity to strike Iran's nuclear site there was rapidly shutting, because now they could create a nuclear disaster. Isn't that interesting? Is there a correlation? This could be another prophecy that's been overlooked, Sid, and I pointed out in the book. So if that nuclear plant gets nuked, so to speak, uh, what, what does it mean the Iranians will be fleeing to other countries? Well, if you have a radioactive disaster from nuclear oh. fallout, um, and then you're going to have a dispersion. 
and they'll be flooding into the deserts of southern Iraq and wherever they've got to go. And, and uh, Bill, the, 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 your information is better than the best newspapers in the world. I mean, you must get so excited. See, most Christians read these ancient names, and they don't even know what God is talking about. But it's talking about right now, our generation. It's talking about what's going to happen to us. And we'll we'll be able to talk about witness value. You'll be able to say, I know what's going to happen to Iran. I know what's going to happen to Syria. I know what's going to happen to the United States of America. I know what's going to happen to Hezbollah. You're going to get all these ancient names and what they mean and what the future of these countries are. You're going to get three DVDs, the next Middle East war, the roots of the Middle East conflict. You need to understand that. The future for America and his brand new book makes it so clear. It covers arguments that you've never even thought of before. You will be solid in your understanding of end times, available for a gift of $40. This is the Shabbat broadcast. The Lord is blessing you right now. The Lord is keeping you right now. The Lord is pouring out his favor upon you right now. The Lord is gifting you right now. The Lord is giving you his shalom. That's his completeness in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body. You're being totally healed. It is the power of God is going through you as a sign from God in the name that is above every disease, Yeshua HaMashiach Tzikenu, Jesus the Messiah, our righteousness. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpucha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime, 1-800-447-2697. For all other calls, the number is 704-943-6500. That's 704-943-6500. For a CD of this week's broadcast, send a donation to Sid Roth. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.